It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Thursday, June 24th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendonca, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Lawmakers are calling for more accountability from Governor Gavin Newsom after a CAP radio investigation revealed that he exaggerated the wildfire prevention work completed during his time in office. More from the California Report. After a brief look at regional news and weather, we'll hear Hospitality House's needs of the week, followed by Bravehearts. This week, we begin a four-part series with Carly Pacheco and Serena Cantway, both of Freed, the Independent Living Center in Grass Valley. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Some lawmakers in Sacramento are looking for answers from Governor Gavin Newsom after an investigation from CAP Radio and NPR's California Newsroom found that he vastly overstated the wildfire prevention work that's been done during his time in office. The governor had given CAL FIRE a series of priority projects in 2019 for communities that are particularly vulnerable to the threat of wildfires. This included working on prevention efforts like forest thinning and prescribed burns. But CAP Radio's Scott Rod found that despite Newsom's claims that the projects treated 90,000 acres, CAL FIRE's own data shows the state completed less than 12,000 acres of prevention work on those projects. CAL FIRE now claims the work they did do helped protect the full project area. Republican Assemblyman Vince Fong of Bakersfield says he wants answers. Last year, Californians endured the most catastrophic wildfire season on record. At, at a minimum right now, we need an oversight hearing to get all the facts, to get all the details, and to hold the governor and our state agencies accountable. The investigation also found that Governor Newsom cut spending on wildfire prevention last year by $150 million. He's pledged to substantially increase spending for fire prevention in this year's budget, but fire experts say the state needs to sustain funding for years to come to maintain the progress that's been made on suppressing fires. Fong, who's on the Budget Assembly Committee, says these revelations should be discussed by the state legislature, which is in the final stages of spending negotiations. California Secretary of State Shirley Weber has confirmed that there are officially enough signatures to place a recall of Governor Newsom on the ballot. Only 43 signatures were withdrawn from the recall petition over the six weeks when voters were allowed to change their minds. As KQED's Scott Schaefer reports, the recall timeline is definitely on a fast track. We've known for weeks that this recall would happen, but when? The legislature has some built-in wiggle room to give more flexibility on whether to have the election take place relatively quickly or later. Brandon Straisner, Senior Research Fellow with the California Constitution Center at UC Berkeley, says most of those involved in completing the legal steps are finishing up at or before their deadlines. And reading the tea leaves, it looks like the election will probably take place sometime in September And under the procedures, it was possible that it could have been as late as December or possibly even maybe early next year. Even before the final cost estimates to run the election are in, the legislature has waived its right to take more time for analysis and is planning to put $250 million into the state budget, most of that to cover counties' costs of running the election. East Bay State Senator Nancy Skinner heads the Senate Budget Committee. 
given that we are doing the budget now, it just makes sense for us to include that expenditure in the budget. So that will help everything. By help, she means expedite the process. Democrats like Skinner seem united in moving the process along to hold the election as early as possible. But county election officials are asking that it be no earlier than September 14th to give them time to design, print, and mail the ballots. More than 70 candidates have already announced their intention to run as a replacement to Governor Gavin Newsom if voters choose to recall him from office. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. The effort to reunite migrant families torn apart by the Trump administration's immigration crackdown continues. Just yesterday, eight parents were reunited with their children. That's in addition to 13 others who were reunited with their kids this past weekend. But even with the Biden administration's Family Reunification Task Force, a recent report finds that more than 2,000 children may still be separated from their parents. KQED's Michelle Wiley reports. Brian Chavez and his mother fled Mexico in 2017. He was 15 years old and being targeted by gangs. They came to the U.S. where the two were separated in San Diego. Now, almost four years later, Chavez says his mother has been granted permission to return as part of the Biden administration's new family reunification process. When we're kids, the thing that we need the most is our parents right next to us, giving us support and they love. Here's how the new process works. Family members can apply for humanitarian parole, even if they've been deported. If they're approved, they can stay in the U.S. and apply for work authorization or potentially restart an asylum application. But that status is temporary, lasting up to three years. For Chavez's mother, the parole is only one year. He says she worries every night that they could be torn apart again. Is it going to be just only one year? Am I going to stay here longer? Are they going to change their mind and just come and take me out? Am I going to have to go through the whole process of being separated from my son again? Since President Biden promised to make family reunifications a priority for his administration, advocates have been pushing his office to find permanent solutions for families who are separated. According to ACLU attorney Legal Alert, who's been representing these families in a class action lawsuit, permanence is one of the key issues in negotiations with the government. That people not be sent back to danger, that they not be re-traumatized, that they not live with the, the trauma of potentially being sent back. So that is, you know, foremost in the negotiations. They're also working to secure wraparound social services and compensation for families. But some advocates are concerned about how long the process is taking. To my mind, if their goal is the same, right, to remedy the harm, then there should not be much dissension between the two sides. That's Carol Ann Donahoe, managing attorney for the Family Reunification Project at Al Otro Lado, a California-based immigrant rights organization. She says she's already hearing from concerned family members. We are getting calls, you know, like, okay, what's going to happen? We can't really say. We can say, well, you have this three-year parole safety net. 
But at the moment, we can't say anything more than that. Donahoe says establishing permanent status is about protecting the families long term, especially from any potential future changes in administration. For The California Report, I'm Michelle Wiley. And that is The California Report for this Thursday, June 24th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. The Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard is reporting four new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. For a total of 55 active cases in our county, six people are hospitalized. The Union of Grass Valley is reporting today that both Nevada City and Grass Valley have imposed water restrictions. Grass Valley's reduction actually increases the water reduction use from 10% to 20% since the previous reduction, says City Manager Tim Kaiser. The city, for its part, will focus on keeping athletic fields green while reducing irrigation of other city landscapes by 20% or more. Nevada City City Manager Joan Philippi said in a press release that the city council made a declaration of a drought stage 3 warning effective immediately. Quote, With rainfall this season being at historic lows, the council made the decision based on information from the NID combined with input from the city staff on the city's system and water use, Philippi said. A stage 3 warning carries a mandatory water restriction, including reducing water usage by 20% of 2020 water usage levels. And tonight's full moon will be a supermoon, appearing larger and 15% brighter than normal. Dubbed the Strawberry Moon, it will be the first full moon of the summer and the last supermoon of 2021. Sadly, according to NASA, we will not see a red moon dimpled with seeds. The moon's name is derived from Native American usage, as the moon appears in time for strawberry harvesting season in the northeastern United States. In other parts of the world, it's referred to as the Mead Moon or Honeymoon because of its arrival during prime honey collecting time. The strawberry moon will rise in Grass Valley at 9.04 p.m. and cross the meridian at 12.39 a.m., when it will be at its peak illumination. Thanks to Kelly Reese for her contribution. In regional weather, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 11 p.m., then partly cloudy with a low around 60 degrees. Friday will be sunny with a high near 89. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 11 p.m., then partly cloudy with a low around 46. Tomorrow, a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m., then mostly sunny with a high near 80 degrees. And for the valley, Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 59. Friday will be sunny with a high near 93. Next, let's listen to Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, followed by Bravehearts. This week, Betty Louise begins a conversation with Carly Pacheco and Serena Cantway about how they both arrived at Freed, the independent living center in Grass Valley. Hi, I'm Christina Epkarian, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House. Hospitality House is a year-round emergency homeless shelter 
for the general homeless community in Nevada County. And the needs for the shelter for this week are PPE masks and gloves, blankets twin size, new pillows, bottled water, men's t-shirts sizes large, extra large, and double XL. Women's t-shirts sizes medium, large, and extra large, men's and women's deodorant, duffel bags and backpacks. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's place located in the Brunswick Basin past the DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Brave Hearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Brave Hearts. Hello, everybody. It's Betty Louise with another episode of Brave Hearts. I'm very excited to be on location again at the Freed offices with Carly Pacheco and Serena Cantway. So I'm very curious to hear about Freed, but as I always do, I'd love to start out with your stories. So how did you end up becoming the executive director of Freed, Carly? Well, thank you for the question. And that's a brand new position for me. I'm about a week in at this point. Well, I'll go back to my training pre-freed was I was a special education teacher. And so for about 10 years, I worked with students with um, the most significant disabilities. And we worked to make school programs inclusive. So all students experiencing all areas of the school rather than what can often happen with folks with disabilities is segregated into a separate environment. So that was kind of my professional career. And when I left that and moved to Nevada City, I wasn't quite sure what I was gonna do. I didn't know Freed existed and Freed's an independent living center and I didn't know that independent living centers existed and they do, they cover all um, counties in California and every state in the nation. But I learned about Freed with a little part-time position. So I started as an executive assistant and answered the phones and supported Anna Acton, our previous executive director. And pretty quickly that expanded. I I was trying to really keep myself in a little part-time box. But Freed is a really exciting place to be and does really exciting work. And so I became a program manager and then operations manager and a center coordinator. And I've been the deputy director sort of in that upper level of management for almost five years now. And Anna, our fearless leader, who I think is really well known and loved and respected in the community, has been honored with a governor appointment at Department of Rehabilitation. So she's working at the state doing the same great advocacy work that she was doing here in Nevada County, but statewide. 
and continuing to support independent living centers in the whole network. And so the board went through their process and I I am now the executive director, which is frightening and really <laughs> exciting all at the same time. Yeah, that's kind of my story. That is so awesome. And a lot of the listeners might know Anna Acton because she did Disability Rap on KVMR. I will say that is still on KVMR, and Carl Sigmund, um, who's our disability community advocate, produces that show. So, um, yeah, I definitely recommend it. So, Serena, you are the housing coordinator here at Freed. How'd you land here? I landed here during COVID. I came from various positions and where I worked with high-risk populations, developed a passion for it. It was something that I would experience in my, in my personal life with my family. So I've worked with many people with disabilities, seniors, and also other high-risk populations such as homelessness. So same thing, I came in as an information and referral specialist. Quickly moved into traumatic brain injury coordination and independent living services. And now I am into the housing coordination and still somewhat a little bit of independent living services. Sounds like Freed is a growing organization. Yeah. I have to agree with Carly. It becomes exciting. You see where the difference is made. And then you find it exciting to take the challenge on to the next step. Mm. So it, it becomes... I get to expand my passion. That's how I feel. So, and I agree with her 100%. As you think you're going to put yourself in this box, and and then you go, no, I'm going to go on and learn this, and and it becomes even more exciting as you get to develop in this organization. Well, so beautiful. And if I could add yeah, something please. that's unique about Freed as far as social service organizations, so we we're a disability organization. So we serve individuals with disabilities, oftentimes lots of older adults, right? Because we all likely will age into disability if we live long enough. With our employees, we value lived experience much more than we value education, Mm -hmm. formal education. So we're looking for people who have individual disability experience. In order to be an independent living center, at least half of our staff and our board have to be individuals with disabilities. So we not only serve the population, but we are the population. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. After merely 21 years, I installed new carpeting in my living room. I couldn't afford the bedroom, but that's a much less traveled thoroughfare, being both private and essentially a cul-de-sac, and also more dimly lit. The living room is a freeway from front door to back, a dance floor and picnic grounds, a soccer field for cats and friends' children, a zone of refuge for the possums and skunks I'm trying to chase out of the kitchen who turned the wrong way in a panic. When the county widened my road and I found layers of dust inside every kitchen drawer for weeks, some of that grime probably descended into the carpet too. Staying home during the pandemic's early stages gave me time to notice how revolting it was. This is not a tragic story. The Berber carpet I wanted was less expensive than every other option, 
The friend who cleans my house lobbied for a darker color, so it will show dirt less easily than the previous one, and I listened to her for once. The carpet layers, John and Larry, hauled my furniture outside for the seven hours it took to do the job, and then kindly hauled it back in. What they did not do, however, was pack up any books. Writers collect books. My bedroom houses all the poetry and my grandfather's old Max Brand and Louis L'Amour paperbacks, a copy of Frog and Toad, and some science fiction I don't want to admit to. But there were three large bookshelves in the living room, housing hundreds of books. I say were because in packing the volumes into boxes, one of the bookshelves exploded and is no more. Made mostly of dowels, it was evidently held together by the weight of the books, as the glue holding dowels to one-bys had evaporated over the years. Just after I got the photo albums and dictionaries off the bottom shelves, the rest of the six-foot edifice collapsed. But, as I said, this isn't a tragic story, just a maddening one. I wasn't planning to go through my collection and dispense with so much, but it seemed foolhardy not to, since it had been thrust under my nose in this way, as if the universe were making a point. So I dusted off the dead spiders and let go of my Norwegian textbooks from college, unopened since then, and the Joan Baez songbook I learned guitar on in 1968. I gave Andy Goldsworthy to an artist friend and the birds of Trinidad and Tobago to another. My little free library is stuffed full, and there are boxes on the ground beneath it, something I'd never let anyone else do, by the way. Someone mentioned that we don't think of books as paper and ink, but as friends or even family, companions who were there with us for specific parts of our lives. No wonder it's hard to let go. Without them, I'm going to have to remember the smell of lilacs in Cambridge myself, unprompted by Beowulf or the Oxford Handbook of American Folklore. My grandmother's home gardening, whose print was already too small for me ten years ago, will rest on someone else's shelf. There's such a strange mixture of grief and relief. Small deaths, perhaps, but we know what they lead to. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And that's our newscast for tonight. For their generous support, KVMR would like to thank Bistro 221, American comfort food with Southern and Italian inspirations for lunch and dinner. Preparing homemade risotto, sandwiches, burgers, and fried chicken, utilizing the freshest ingredients available. More information? Bistro221NevadaCity.com And Harmony Books of Nevada City. Locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. 
open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. Coming up at 6.30, Martin Webb brings us the Climate Report, and at 7, it's Democracy Now! Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. I hope you have a great evening. Thank you.